going to start out at John 15, 7. John chapter 15. And a lot of the verses I'll be reading out of today are the Amplified Bible. As I've been reading that this week, it's just been... I used to read the Amplified a long time ago, and I forgot how rich it was and how, how fun and cool it is to read. But anyway, so I'll be sharing some scriptures out of the Amplified Bible today, and I believe we'll have it up. Yeah, there we go. But I, what I would like to encourage you to do is, is um, let's put our hand over our hearts. You know, I, I could probably always say this. Um, but I just really feel like this is one of those words that, that, is, that can be life-altering, life-changing. I mean, tr- dramatically impact you only if we receive it, embrace it, and then put it into practice, right? Because it's not being a hearer of the word that's blessed, but it's those who do the word. And we're going to be talking about a topic today that is very, very, very important, very powerful. And so, Father, we just open our hearts to you. And we thank you that the hard ground has been plowed up as we've just given our hearts to you in worship. And so we ask you to speak to us powerfully and effectively. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach. And we just give you permission to penetrate our hearts with your word because we want to change. We're grateful for where we are now, but we're not satisfied to stay here. We want to get closer to you. We want to be more like you, Jesus. And so we ask you to have your way in our hearts. Our hearts are open to receive your word, not just to hear it, but to be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, John 15, 7 says, If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, And continue to live in your hearts. Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Again, if you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts, then ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. I've shared this verse a number of times in the last number of weeks, but I'm just captivated by this invitation. This is an incredible invitation. I've read this verse many, many times over the years, but it's never captured me like it has recently. Because Jesus is saying, basically, heaven's resources are at our disposal. He wants his resources to be at yours and my disposal. Because a lot of what's in heaven, remember when Jesus said, pray this way, your will be done, your kingdom come Excuse me, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm sure there's a lot of depression, a lot of sickness, and a lot of discouragement in heaven. A lot of broken limbs, a lot of, a lot of heart disease, a lot of kidney failure. All that stuff is in heaven, right? And he wants that to come down here on earth. Is that right? No. All his goodness, his wonderful Provision is in heaven. He said, pray that it comes, and it's like that on earth. And he wants that to come through his kids. And right here, the way I see it, he's saying, I want things to be in such a way to you and I to have the kind of relationship to where you can ask whatever you desire, and it will happen. That's pretty crazy. It's pretty amazing. You know, and if if this was the only verse like this, then you'd have to be careful not to build a strong, solid theology on it because you have to be careful to build strong theologies on one verse, right? I mean, that's how you get cults. That's how you get weird stuff happening. But there's others like it. Uh, John 14, 12 through 14, it says, Most assuredly, this is Jesus saying again, talk, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. He says, and if you didn't get it the first time, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He's saying, the works that I do, you shall do also, if you continue to believe in me. 
And you're going to even do greater things. Now, that right there is pretty crazy. He says, the miracles that I do, you shall do also, and greater. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what that means, but it means greater. That's the new CJ translation. It means greater. And then he says, and you shall ask anything in my name, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified. And again, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And then Mark eleven twenty two through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Three times, three times, let every word be established with two or more witnesses. Two or three witnesses, right? Three times, he shares the idea that he wants to have the kind of relationship with him, us to have a relationship with him to where we have what we ask for. Are you hearing me? This has captivated me because it re it's revealing Jesus' heart. And I know because of past, cir past circumstances, unanswered prayer, life situations and discouragements and, and, and all that stuff, I know we have a hard time with these verses. And so when we read them and they try to hit our hearts, we're doing all this deflection. Say, well, that's not what it means. It really means this and this and this because this has been my experience. And so we're trying to pull these verses down to our experience instead of saying, Jesus, I'm accepting your invitation and I'm coming up to you. I'm coming up to the experience that you are trying to, that you are inviting me into. This is crazy cool stuff I'm talking about. And Jesus is the one who said this. If you look, if you have one of those red letter editions, all these things that I just read are in red letter. That means Jesus said it. Isn't that cool? His invitation is to an incredible level of fruitfulness to the point we will have whatever we ask for, for the purpose of glorifying God. It's for the purpose of glorifying God. The invitation includes an intimate relationship with Jesus and a continuous and vibrant relationship with his word. Relationship with Jesus and a relationship with his word. Remember he said, if you abide in me or maintain intimate communion with me and my word remains at home within you, then A plus B equals C. If this happens and this happens, then this is going to happen. Notice he didn't say, if this happens or this happens, then C is going to happen. He's inviting us into a relationship with him and his word. Him and his word. It's not one or the other. To be continuously fruitful believers, we must walk in relationship with both him and his word. We really can't have one without the other. We really can't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus without having a relationship with his word. You realize that the, the Pharisees, they tried that. They had a relationship with the word of God or the law, and they were very proficient with the law. They were very intimately acquainted with the law, and they killed the author of the law. They knew the word, and they killed the author. How often can us Christians become so skilled with the word, we have it memorized, bunches of scriptures memorized, and we become so religious? I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about? So it's not just the word, but it has to be the word. So we can't have just a relationship with the word itself, because Jesus didn't say just the word or just me, but both. And too many Christians try to have a relationship with just Jesus 
without the word, and they become flaky, wishy-washy, unstable, out of balance, and often living a seemingly justifiable sinful lifestyle. Now, I talk to people like this all the time. They don't go to church anymore because they're fed up with church. They're fed up with us Christians because they've been offended, they've been hurt, they've been wounded. And I understand that. But they've reduced themselves to, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. Yes, it's between me and Jesus. I love Jesus. But for the most part, they don't have a relationship with the Word of God. And so their life is reduced to a lifestyle that's full of sin. And they think Jesus is okay with it. Because their feelings, their emotions, their opinions say Jesus is okay with this. You have people living alternative lifestyles and saying it's okay with God. Because he's a God of love, he loves me, and he wants me to be happy, so this is okay. We have Christian couples living together without being married and thinking that it's okay. Because he wants me to be happy. Happy. It's all about me being happy. I'm sure Jesus was really happy when he was hanging on that cross. Probably smiling from ear to ear. It doesn't have anything to do with our happiness. But it does have everything to do with joy. And there's a big difference. When Jesus was hanging on that cross... Probably not experiencing any happiness because happiness is related to our circumstances. But joy is a continuous thing. Jesus was full of joy hanging on that cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of that cross. It was the joy that was going to come as a result of that cross. See, it's not about our happiness because our happiness will kill us. You know, when people get a hold, people who do drugs, they get a hold of a good drug, they're probably very happy at that moment. That happiness will kill them. But it's got to be God's will, right? Because he wants me to be happy. It's not about our happiness. So trying to have a relationship, saying, I love Jesus... It's about Jesus, and if we don't have a relationship with his word, our lives are going to be full of all kinds of craziness, sin, and then then we're going to justify it and say it's okay and actually believe it's okay, and that's how you move into deception. And we wonder why the church is having a lot of problems being fruitful. Many people live a lifestyle that they feel Jesus is okay with because they have no continuous relationship with the word, which means they are subject to their own opinion or feeling or popular worldly opinion. Why is the word so important? So much information that we subject ourselves to. News, Facebook, information and opinions from very brilliant, popular, and very influential people. What they say sounds good and makes sense, but most of it is contrary to God's word. We are daily consuming this information, and it is heavily influencing the way we think. We spend hours and hours per week listening to and reading a lot of this information, and we even watch entertainment that contains strong anti-Christian messages. And at the same time, many of us spend at best minutes per week reading his word. We're being consumed with this information. Consumed. We're feeding on it. It's becoming us because the Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. Your thought process becomes you. So whatever you're feeding yourself with, your mind with, that's what you're going to become. And so we're feeding on this information. We're feeding on this information over and over and over And you know, the Bible says that that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the world, he is the the ruler of this world system. 
The world system is dominantly influenced by him. And we're feeding on that. And at best, we're reading a little bit of his word. And we're wondering why I can't have strong faith. We're wondering why I'm struggling so much with doubt and unbelief. The world is full of doubt and unbelief. The world is full of fear. What's on the news? Fear. And then so we end up making decisions based on fear versus based on what the Word of God says. You would be amazed at how many people have told me, said to me, Christians, my dear brothers and sisters, when I tell them I'm going somewhere like to Kenya or Iraq or India, and a lot of times their response is fear-based. Oh, I couldn't do that. Do you hear what they're doing over you hear what the terrorists are doing over there? Do you know that ISIS is actively involved over there? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. That's kind of crazy. Because we are we've relegated the the our relationship with God based on fear. I will go as long as I know it's safe. If there's any hint of danger, then obviously God doesn't want me to go because it's about me being happy. Right? And see, what happens, it becomes about me, all about me, all about my comfort, all about what I want. And so people around me are dying. They're staying in bondage. They're going to hell. But I'm okay because I'm happy. Years ago, when I went to Iraq, and I was telling my friends, telling people, man, God's wanting me to go to Iraq. And it was, it was still during parts of the war. I mean, there were still bombs and stuff going off over there. How do I know? Because I heard them. And a number of Christians, their first response was, don't you realize there's a war going on? Don't you realize how unsafe that is? Oh, really? We're at war with Iraq? I didn't know that. Instead of, well, praise God, I'll be praying for you. And, and the other thing was, the thought of me going over there with those Iraqis, the terrorists. And I thought, you know, I think Jesus died for them too. So I think if he wants us to go over there, maybe because he likes them. Or he loves them. But here's the problem. Because we're being so dominantly influenced by the world system, which promotes fear like crazy, and fear to me is putting faith in the enemy. Because fear is putting faith in what is probably going to happen. I'm probably going to die over there. I'm probably going to get killed by ISIS. I'm probably going to get bit by a poisonous spider or snake or scorpion or something in Africa. Because we fill ourselves with fear instead of the word of God. And so instead of moving forward in faith and confidence because he told me to, I'm shrinking back in fear and saying, God, I will do this only if you can guarantee my safety. There's no time that I've been on any trip that God has guaranteed my safety. Newsflash. There's no time that I've been to Walmart that God has guaranteed my safety. The information we fill ourselves with is full of doubt and unbelief, full of wisdom of man, full of human effort. It does not build our faith, but it tears it down. It mainly discourages us and promotes fear. At worst, it damages and severely weakens our faith in Jesus. And at best, it cools our affection for him. Some of us continually spend time. Oh, excuse me. So being dominated by the world system, by the information that we know is antichrist. 
and we feed on that. We don't feed on the word, and we wonder why we're kind of tilted in a crazy direction. Men, what if you, um, or ladies, what if your husband spent time with a woman who you knew hated you? She despised you. But your husband hung out with that lady, and every time he was with that woman, she always talked negatively about you. Okay, ladies, calm down. It's just an illustration. I can feel the heat rising. But would you be okay with that? And wouldn't that be stupid of that man to be in that kind of relationship? The Bible says, you adulteresses, do you know that, not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? It's hatred towards God. And so we're consuming on stuff that's causing putting in hatred towards him that we want to love, and we wonder why we're having this conflict. And see, Jesus didn't call us out of the world. He's called us to go into the world and save, to set free. So I don't know if we can do that and totally remove ourselves. I know there's Christian communities that do that. And I'm not going to say they're right or wrong. But I believe we're called into to help, to rescue. But how do we do that if we are not engaging intentionally in his word? Some of us, the scriptures we read are what we see posted on Facebook. I had my word today. So-and-so posted a great scripture. We're just reading little, you know, devotionals, and devotions are okay. You read a devotional, maybe a two, three-page devotional, and it has a little scripture, and then it has a lot of what this man or woman is saying, which can be very good. And we say that's our word. I'm listening to a podcast by Bill Johnson or Chris Vallotton or Beth Moore. And they share a great word, a great message. And I say, that's my word. That's not what Jesus is talking about. When he's saying, my word abides in you. Those things are okay. I partake of them. But that's not enough. That is not when Jesus is saying, I want you to come to a place to where you ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. That doesn't mean consuming my time with podcast. That means letting his word become a part of me. Amen. As I'm sharing, remember our prayer. It's Holy Spirit, you speak to me. Not condemnation, but conviction. We are a friend of conviction, not condemnation. If you're feeling condemned and hopeless, you're not hearing. You're not hearing from Holy Spirit. Hopefully something in you is stirring up. Maybe you're even getting angry realizing that you've been duped. And let that anger turn to passion. And that passion turn to action for devouring and consuming his word. That is my prayer. My goal is not to religiously or legalistically get you to conform to a system that I think you ought to conform to. My desire is to help you see what is causing your affection for Jesus to be cooled off and negatively impacted. And also to stir up a hunger and passion for a more intimate relationship with Jesus and his word. My hope is to be able to push you off the cliff of complacency and into the wonderful pool of passion for Jesus and his kingdom. And I have to tell you something. Because of the grace of God on my life and because of the gifts he's put in me, I'm not okay with being concerned about just my relationship with him. I am concerned about you. I mean passionately concerned. 
about you. So I get very passionate to encourage, to build you up and to see you walk in what God has for you. Not to beat you and to manipulate you into whatever, but to challenge, to provoke, to love and good works, to love Jesus passionately. Amen? I had a vision a number of years ago, and it messed me up for normal. I was daydreaming, and then it turned into a vision. And in this vision, I was walking in Walmart. As I was walking in Walmart, I saw a lot of people. And Christians were, and these people represented um, non-saved people. And so they were walking. And then Christians, I saw Christians walking past them. And as they were passing these non-Christian people, they were saying things like, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. In other words, they were being very nice. The Christians were being very nice to the people they were encountering as they were walking by. They're being nice. And then all of a sudden, I saw on these people who weren't born again, they had these monkey, these hideous-looking monkey creatures on their backs. They were demons. They were hideous. And they were kind of attached or hanging out the back of the person, kind of piggyback. And then as, as we were walking past these people with these demons on their back, and the people were kind of walking hunched over like this, very discouraged, very downtrodden. And all we were saying is, God bless you. God bless you. Have a nice day. We're being very nice. And the demons we're looking back at us, just smiling. And basically the message I was getting, your niceness isn't doing anything for these people. Me being a nice Christian, being courteous, being polite, letting you go first in line, not cussing you out when you cut in front of me, being nice, it's not setting people free. It's not demonstrating the power and the love of Jesus Christ. I know Muslims that are extremely nice. I know Hindus that are very nice. I knew that vision was for me. It impacted me. I was bothered by that because I considered myself a very nice person. But then I realized it's not about being nice. It's about loving people. It's about laying down my life so that the gospel, the goodness of Jesus can be shared with other people. And that's why my passion is to see the body of Christ full of the fire, the love, and the power of God to be released into this community or whatever community you're in and seeing people set free. Us being the kind of people that wherever we go, people have the opportunity to have an encounter with God through us. Earlier this week, I had the, the privilege of sharing, being a chapel speaker at a Christian school. And the Lord put the word on my heart about a month ago, so I've just been dwelling on it over, and I couldn't wait I couldn't wait to share at this school. Matter of fact, I woke up at 3.50 in the morning, the morning of, hoping it was time to get up. It's like, is it time yet? It's like, man, I got three or four more hours. I was just not anxious, excited. I was very giddy, excited, full of anticipation, because I knew the message that I had in my heart was of the Lord, and it was for that group of young people. And I got to stand before them and challenge them. They're a group of Christian kids. They've grown up in church. They can tell you a lot of the Bible stories. And unfortunately, us in America, our message as godly parents and as Christian adults, our message to young people, teenagers, has been relegated to stay off drugs, stay out of bed, 
Stay out of trouble. Be a good kid. Go to college, get a good job with benefits, live happily ever after. I mean, isn't that not the American Christian message? Are you hearing me? That wasn't the message the Lord put on my heart to share with them. I was calling them out. Telling them that God has called them to be heroes. He has called them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out devils. And the principle was there as I was sharing this. I hope I didn't cross any bounds. Yeah, shouldn't. Anyway, I've seen him after. He's talked to him and everything. But just sharing and watching these kids' eyes, them leaning forward, like, really? We get to do this kind of stuff? Seriously? Now, of course, staying off drugs, staying out of bed, staying out of trouble is good. But that's not the highest common denominator. That should be the lowest. And we should aspire and challenge them to what Jesus said. Abide in me. My word abides in you. Ask whatever. Lay hands on the sick. You shall do the very things that I do. I begin to share with them stories of having the privilege of laying hands on the sick, casting demons out of people. And the cool thing was, this wasn't fairy tale. This is real stuff. And they were eating it up. And it was interesting because I was, I was telling a story of how I, I laid hands on this woman's shoulder. She needed, she was wanting, I was getting her gasoline so she could go to Oklahoma City because they were going to schedule an appointment to remove her tumor. And she asked for gas and I said, sure. And I said, can I pray for you? Laid hands on her shoulder. And as I was sharing this story, there was a young redheaded girl sitting on the front row and I put my hand on her shoulder, directed by the Lord. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't say anything. And so I was telling a story about how I laid hands on this woman's shoulder and began to pray for her. The lady went to the appointment. When they got there, did the, whatever they did, tumor was gone. They couldn't find the tumor. So they canceled the surgery. So I'm sharing this story with these kids. After this session, I'm sitting in the back next to one of the teachers, and that little redheaded girl came up to me with tears in her eyes. She said, do you know that when you put your hand on my shoulder, on my left shoulder, I was having severe pain in that shoulder, and it was going up and down my side? It's totally gone. I said, really? So we high-fived each other, and then I began to speak, of the, speak the word of the Lord to her. Just begin to prophesy and tell her what God has in store for her. There was a young man there. I knew God had put something in me to deliver to at least one of the young men. And I said, well, Lord, because as I'm looking around, you know, I'm thinking, is it him? Is it him? Is it him? I said, Lord, you highlight it. You show me. And so at the end of my message, there was a young man there who had real long hair, real long black curly hair, and it was in his face. Totally couldn't see his face at all. I feel like the Lord said, him. And I said, excuse me, and I'd met him before. I knew his name, and I said, your name is such and such, right? He said, yeah. I said, can I shake your hand? Like what? I said, can I shake your hand? He said, okay. So I shook his hand. And I said, you know, I wanted to shake your hand. No. He said, within the next 10 years, there's gonna, uh, you're going to do something that's going to benefit many, many, many people. As a result, many people are going to want to shake your hand. Remember, I'm the first one. And man, he just lit up. And then I found out later, my son, who happens to go to this school, he said, hey, Dad, you remember that kid? Or he named his name. I said, yeah. He said, I bet he liked what you did. I said, what do you mean? You know, when you shook his hand and everything, he said, I bet he liked that. I said, really? He said, yeah. He has no friends in school. Nobody likes him. Nobody likes him. And Jesus called him out. I had no idea. 
And I remember when I was going to the school, the same school to drop my daughter off at a play thing or they were practicing for. And I saw this young man. They all, the, whole, well, the, the older kids were there. And as they were coming out, I saw this young man. I saw him, but he didn't see me. And he was walking past me. And then he saw me. And then he changed course, came over to me and said, hi. Hi. Big old smile on his face. But I could have just been nice to him and encouraged him to stay off drugs, stay out of bed, stay out of trouble. You and I have the privilege of speaking life to people, of sharing life. Simple acts. Holy Spirit says, hey, hey, Amy, why don't you do this? Really? Seriously? Yeah, just do that. And we do this simple little thing. I mean, it can be as big as praying for the sick or it can be as little as an encouraging word full of the grace of the Holy Spirit. And we have no idea what it's going to do for that person. We have no idea. Ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus shared when he was starting his ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable or favorable year of the Lord. Too many of us Christians want to go around pronouncing judgment. Jesus came to to proclaim the favor of God. There is going to come a time for God's judgment, and that is not going to be fun. It's not going to be good. And unfortunately, many people are going to be subject to that judgment because they didn't repent. That is not right now. We are not to go around judging people or declaring judgment over them. You know how many Christians keep pronouncing judgment on San Francisco? It's going to fall into the, to the ocean because the big earthquake's going to come because San Francisco is full of evil. Really? San Francisco's the only place full of evil? Seriously? Or all these things, the economy's going to crash because God is judging America because we've turned away from God. And, you know, and it seems like as we proclaim those things, we get this some kind of a satisfaction out of that. Folks, if that happens, we're not going to be happy about that. That is not going to be a fun time. Because it's not like I get to stand over here and watch y'all suffer because of the economy just crashed. But I don't know what we're thinking. Jesus said, do what I did. As the Father sent me, so I send you. How did the Father send him? He anointed him to proclaim the good news, to preach the gospel, to set people free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the Lord's favor. God loves you. He has a purpose for you. He wants to have a relationship with you, not God's judgment. Now, we can't tell him it's all peaches and cream and and little cute puppies and all that kind of stuff. We need to tell them the truth. But the truth is the love of God wants to impact them. And it's interesting is a lot of times, you know, if you prophesy people's dirt, how bad they are, what are you telling them that they don't already know? Yeah, I do drugs. Yeah, I hate God. Yeah, I know. Wow, you, you yeah. Didn't need a prophet to tell me that. But when you begin to speak into them and, and call out the treasure that's inside of them, like, really? That's inside of me? That's how God sees me? Seriously? Like that young man who, from eye appearance, it appears the one at the school that, I, that the Lord called out, it appears that he's trying to be rebellious because of his look. Jesus didn't care. He didn't say, boy, cut that hair. Look more respectable. He planted hope in him. 
That's what God wants us to do. But if we're feeding off the system of the world and fear and all that garbage, So why must we have a relationship with the word? Why is it important? Number one, Jesus said it was 50% of what was needed in order for me to move from being fruitful to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit and bearing fruit that remains and to truly glorify the Father. So why is it important to have a relationship with God's word? Because it's 50% of the equation. Jesus said, abide in me, and my word live it inside of you. So if he said that, then there must be a reason why it's important for us to have a relationship with his word. Number two, it's the tool that the Father uses to prune you and me so we can bear more fruit. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 in the Amplified says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, Penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, soul, and the immortal spirit and of the joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. And not a creature exists that is concealed from his sight, but all things are open and exposed, naked and defenseless to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And then John 15, 1 through 3, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, that stops bearing, he cuts away, trims off, takes away, and he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. You are cleansed and pruned already because of the word which I have given you, the teachings I have discussed with you. It's his word that he uses to prune us, to trim us, to help us to become more effective. You know, a lot of people think it's trials that do that. Well, God uses trials to to prune you, to make you more fruitful. I don't necessarily agree with that. I believe it's the word. I mean, how many times have you been through a trial? I know I've been through trials, and all I do is get bitter, frustrated, anger, angry, resentful, stressed out. It's not the trial that's producing his character in me. It's me responding to his word inside of the trial. That's where the change comes. When I was in that situation that I've talked about with a friend of mine, Tom Wright's ministry, and I was in charge of it all of a sudden, and these people were trying to come in and and steal it away, and I was in the middle of that mess, I was getting resentful, bitter, angry, stressed out, fearful, all that. That situation was not producing Christ-likeness inside of me. And the longer it was going on, the worse it got. It was until when Jesus said, are you ready to invite me in? Are you going to let me help you? And at first I said, no. Because I knew what he was going to say. See, I was, I was harboring anger and resentment towards these people, and I wanted to hate them because that was my way of getting back at them. It was really hurting them, too. They were like, man, CJ's angry at us. Oh, that hurt so bad. So, man, I was getting really good, losing sleep, just being stressed out. Yeah, that was really effective. That's the path I was on. And then when he asked me again, are you ready to let me help you? And I said, yes, because this is not working at all. And because I knew what he was going to say. And see, when Jesus came into that situation, you know what he came with? His word. He didn't come pat me on the back. Oh, son, it's going to be okay. Those bad, wicked people. I don't like them either. I wish he would have came in with that. That's not what he said. He said, in my word, it says, you have heard that it was said to hate your enemies and love your neighbors. But I say, oh, Jesus, really, do we have to go there? But I say, love your enemies. 
He had to go there. But it was when I began to engage that word. See, the suffering came when I saw what the word standard was and where I was, and we weren't even close. And he was inviting me with his grace to come to his word, to come to the standard and not try to lower the standard because I was justified because what those people were doing was evil. I had justification for my anger, resentment, and bitterness. Right, Jesus? You have heard that it was said to hate your enemies but love your friends. But I say to you, love your enemies. I said, Jesus, how do I do that? And then he showed me. And when I engage in that word, communing with him and allowing his word to have its effect in me, then did I experience freedom. Then did I experience victory. I began to love them. I began to pray for them and bless them and do good to them. And I was free. The circumstances hadn't changed. I had. I had. But you know what I could have done? I could have posted that circumstance on Facebook and said, man, look how these people are messing with me. And all the comments I would have got, oh, CJ, I got some good lawyers for you, bro. Oh, man, I can't believe they're treating you that way. And I would have got all this Christian encouragement. And probably most of it would not have been, you need to love your enemies. You need to love your enemies. I'm glad I didn't do that. Because if I would have posted on Facebook and listened to that counsel, I'd still be bitter, anger, angry, resentful, and frustrated. And probably would have lost all my hair by now. The recession would have been a whole lot quicker. <laughs> Tried to slow down quite a bit. So the word of God is the tool that the Father uses to prune you and I so we can bear more fruit. His word, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And here comes the part that everybody quotes. Then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But see, we all skip to the end. The truth shall make you free. That statement by itself is not true. The truth will make you free when you continue in the word. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, I knew the truth to love your enemies. I knew that. It wasn't doing me any good. But when I continued in his word, when I let it become part of me, then I knew the truth, and the truth set me free. Relationship with his word, it's the tool, not the only one. I'm not going to say it's the only one, but it is the major tool that God uses to prune you and I so that we can bear more fruit. And you know who he prunes? Those who are bearing fruit. The good ones. It's like you have to leave us alone. And if I'm bearing fruit, leave me alone, Jesus, I'm good. But he says, no, son, I want you to bear more fruit. But it hurts. When we stay like ourselves, that brings death. When we conform to the world, that brings death. When we conform to the word, it brings life. That's what I want. I don't want to just be happy, although I want to be happy. But I would rather conform to the word because I know that's going to bring true joy. Number three, why is the word important? Because it's how we walk in true love, in a true love relationship with Jesus and the Father. I remember asking years ago when I was a youth pastor and I asked the, the youth, I said, how many of you guys love Jesus? Yeah. How many of you really love Jesus? Yeah. You know, they were just loving Jesus and all excited. They were passionate when they worshiped, which is awesome. I loved it. It's wonderful having a, a group of young people who love to worship Jesus. Isn't that right, Caleb? 
It's awesome. But I was setting them up. I said, how many of you love Jesus? I said, okay. And I pointed them out. How do you know you love Jesus? Because I feel so good about him. Okay. How do you know you love Jesus? Oh, because I love to worship him. I love to think about him. And they were sharing all these wonderful, nice little things. But they weren't sharing what Jesus said. So I was just letting them share these different things, these different things. And they thought, this is how I know and how Jesus knows I love him. By this and this and this and this. And then I read to them what Jesus said. Out of verse, uh, John chapter 15, verse 9 through 11, it says, I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. Continue in his love with me. If you keep my commandments, if you continue to obey my instructions, you will abide in my love and live on in it, just as I have op- obeyed my Father's commandments and live on in his love. I have told you these things that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy and gladness may be full of full measure and complete and overflowing. John 14, 21a, the person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my father. So this is how we know we love him. Jesus said, you want to know how you love me? Do you really want to know how you can tell if you love me? Yes, Jesus, I want to know. Do what I tell you to do. Obey my word. See, it's not just liking Jesus and having nice, warm, fuzzy feelings towards him, not just going to church, not raising my hands high for worship. It's doing what his word says. When I say I love Jesus but disobey his word, I'm contradicting because he is the word. Remember? Jesus is the word. I say I love him but disobey him. That doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Children, when you say you love your parents but disobey them, so how do I know I love Jesus? By doing what he says. So having a relationship with his word is a way that I can love Jesus. Number four, his word is the very thing that brings about our transformation into becoming more like Jesus. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after, adopted, adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the, things, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. John 17, 15 through 19, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself. Make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify them that they also may be sanctified by the truth. His word is what transforms us. Remember, he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's his word that's going to change us. It's his word that is going to transform us. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Now, here's how Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word so that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. How was the church going to be holy and without blemish, without spot or wrinkle? By the washing of the word of God. We have to have relationship with his word. That's what's going to change us. Every day we get all kinds of stuff, yuck on us. We get bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, jealousy. We become discouraged because of disappointments, of unfulfilled promises or unanswered prayer. And we are constantly getting hit with offense. Every day we have the opportunity to be offended. Every day. Every single day. There's not a day that goes by when you don't have the opportunity to be offended, hurt, frustrated, angry, resentful, bitter. Because things didn't turn out the way I thought they would. 
I prayed for that person. They didn't get healed. I prayed over and over and over and over and even fasted. And they still didn't get healed. They even died. And that's happened over and over, and over again. The things that God has told me 20-something years ago has not happened yet. And so I get frustrated and discouraged. You know, as a young Christian, you can come in all fired up and full of zeal. And then life begins to hit you. The enemy begins to assault you. And circumstances and situations just begin to wear on you. And then that zeal and that passion that you once had for Jesus and his kingdom begins to wane. Unless I embrace the word and let it cleanse me. That when these offenses come, because they will come. It's not if the offenses come, it's when they come. When they come trying to take me out. And I let the word of God be my rear guard and my front guard to help me. Many Christians, many people that I talk to who don't go to church anymore, they're discouraged and bitter and frustrated. They're disappointed for whatever reason. And many of us in here, I, find my, I found myself in a, in a situation to where on the outside, everything looked good. I was moving, or it appeared that I was moving forward. On the inside, I had stopped. And I say, God, until I understand, I'm staying right here. But then all of a sudden, he extended his word to me. And I embraced it. And you know what? I still don't understand. I don't understand why this hasn't happened. Why this promise, has, this, what, I, what I think is a promise from God, why it hasn't happened yet. Why these people haven't gotten healed yet. I do not understand. But I am not going to worship at the altar of understanding. I'm going to worship at the altar of Jesus. And I'm going to say, Lord, even though I don't understand, I mean, if you want to help me understand, I'm, I'm cool with that. But even though I don't understand, I'm coming after you passionately. I'm going to bother you with my love and my worship, not to try to convince him to make me understand, but just to love him because of who he is. But see, too many people are being taken out with disappointment and discouragement. I refuse. And number five, it's the means by which Jesus and the Father revealed themselves to us in a real way. If you really want to get to know Jesus and the Father, if you really want to experience his presence, here's what he says. The person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me, he will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. And then Judas, not as scared, asked him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself, make yourself real to us and not the world? Then Jesus answered, if a person really loves me, he will keep my word, obey my teaching, and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home, abode, special dwelling place with him. Anyone who does not really love me does not observe and obey my teachings. The teaching which I, you hear is, and he does not mind, but comes from the Father. Jesus is saying, you obey my word. We will come to you in a special way. I mean, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that? We will reveal ourselves, make ourselves really known to you. See, that's crazy cool stuff right there. And those are the times when I've struggled, when I've had the hardest time in life, under circumstances. And I allow his word to come and help me and deal with me and, and mold me and shape me and everything. That's when I experience him at a whole new level. When I went through that, that one trial that I've told you about with that ministry, that was the most difficult time of my life at that point. After I came through that circumstance... I felt like I was born again, again. That fire was back because Jesus revealed himself to me in a real way. But see, many of us avoid or we don't experience that because we're not allowing his word to come and be a part of our lives. We're not open to the invitation 
His word. His word. Remember, he says, if you abide in me and my word is at home with you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done. It's not one or the other, but it's both. And after sharing and after hopefully your desire for the word of God is intensifying, is being stirred up, it's not just about his word, him and his word. We'll talk about that more another time. But my challenge and my encouragement to you is to see the importance of the word of God. And I just agree with it, but begin to cry out to God and remove all the stuff, all the clutter, whatever's holding you back from passionately pursuing him through his word.